I join with him in expressing the gratitude for your presence and your interest in these topics. And as he pointed out, we do have some handouts there. Several had mentioned that the former lessons, they had missed some of the handouts. For those of you that that may not get one of the ones just passing out for tonight's lesson, uh, we are getting some more copied because we do have a larger group than we have previously. Uh, I do appreciate your interest in these characters and in the theme, the topic that we've used to tie them together focuses upon our Lord God Almighty. And each of these characters have, has been used to uh, focus in on one aspect of God. And in the lesson tonight, what I hope to do is just pull from each of those lessons that we've discussed before and to draw it all together to show just how concerned God is about making salvation available and how simple He has made it for us so that it could not be misunderstood. And like Doug said, there have been those in the assemblies each night. You've brought your children, and we appreciate and commend you for your interest in their spiritual growth and their knowledge, and you've said in the classes, and we appreciate your interest in that. And if, if possible, we'd like to urge you to come back and join us this coming Lord's Day. We'll continue with Bible studies. VBS will be over, but we'll still have Bible studies, and you'll find good preaching, excellent fellowship, just a good spiritual environment that you need to come and participate in. So we encourage you to rejoin us this coming Lord's Day morning here at the Dalrada Congregation. And if you have any questions about the church here, about the works, about any of the teachings that's been done over these last few days, I'd be glad to talk with you about that. Or you can talk with uh, some of the, the ones sitting near you, and they'd be glad to talk to you as well. Tonight, we're talking about Naaman. And Naaman is a character of the Bible that is really one of the favorite Bible stories of the Old Testament, and I'm sure that may be why it's been selected to be included in the stories of this year's Vacation Bible School. But for those of us in the adult years, Naaman has a powerful lesson, and there have been many sermons preached on Naaman and many Bible studies focused upon him and his attitudes and, and the, the narrative that the Holy Spirit has written for us in the book uh, of, of Second Kings. And so I hope tonight that we'll be able to frame the story of Naaman in such a way that will challenge you to look at your relationship with God and to cause each present to look very seriously at their relationship with God, because that's what Naaman shows us we must do. We must change to have the proper relationship with God. And he does it in a way that, that's very simple. His story is a simple story. It's not that complicated, and the simplicity helps us to understand God's great love, His grace, His desire to heal us from spiritual diseases that the cancer of sin causes. And so tonight, we close out this uh, short series of lessons 
looking at personalities, and we focus on Naaman. The story of Naaman helps us to, to come to an understanding about conversion. Conversion is a term that basically means to turn around. Uh, it, it's a concept that an individual is practicing certain behaviors or believing certain beliefs, and, and then they come to understand that what they're doing is not right. And so they turn from that, and they turn to what they've been taught is true. Now, the fact of conversion is one of the most encouraging facts of the Bible. God wants us to know that you don't have to stay on that, that road where you are. You don't have to stay in the position where you are. You have a choice. Remember, we've pointed out before that God expects each individual to make their own personal choice on their own basis. And so your relationship with God is not decided because of your family history. It's not decided because of where you might have been born. It's decided upon your study of the Holy Bible and your conviction of the truth that the Holy Bible teaches and how you are to respond to that. It's a personal choice that you have. It's not a choice that can be dictated by a ruling religious governing body, a church, but it's a choice that you make. And this choice of conversion simply means that I am deciding at this point that I'm not going to follow the world. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I make that decision, then like Jonah, I'm going to understand that God is commanding God. And as we saw in the situation of Moses and the wilderness wanderings, I know that while I am between the point of being saved by my obedience and spending eternity with God, I'm struggling in the wilderness, and God is there to help me survive. And as we discussed last night with the fiery furnace, we're trusting in this period in a God that provides. He sees to what we have need of. And as Philippians 4.19 says, He will richly supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful opportunity of life is given to us. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Moses was challenging Israel, and he said, you've got a choice set before you today. He says, choose life that you may live. Well, that's the message, really, of the Bible whenever it comes to the point of conversion. Choose life. And life is that which is lived by following God. Life just isn't existing here on earth. There are many people. All they do every day is exist. And they do, they, it's hard for them to do that. Uh, and so it's, if they can get through one more day, they think that's an accomplishment. And they're alive physically. They're breathing. The respiratory system and the circulatory system and all the other systems are functioning as they ought to, but somewhere deep down inside of them, they're not alive. And they need the Lord, and they need the story of Naaman. And if you're in that predicament tonight, that situation, first of all, I'm glad you're here. But in second place, I want you to listen very closely to the story of Naaman because it will challenge you and it will help you to understand where true life is. And you can respond to Moses statement, choose life. You can choose it this very day. 
But if you look, here are three passages of Scripture that talks about conversion in, in I think, wonderful ways. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is a uh, discussion about, it's really a, a summary of the gospel. The entire chapter is. It starts out verses 1 through 4 talking about how we were dead in our trespasses. We were enemies to God. We were at war with God. But then God, through His grace and mercy, has saved us, verses 8 and 9. And in that salvation process, we see that we are added to the body of Christ. And the chapter closes by pointing out we're all being built together as a part of that spiritual temple of God. But in those verses, in between those two things, you have verses 12 and 4, 12 through 16 with these memorable words. The Bible says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a desperate predicament that is. And how, how empty is the life lived by those people. They, they are separated from Christ. They're excluded from God's people. They're strangers to God's promises. No hope without God in the world. But then in the next verse, two words, but Christ. And that's, that ought to be an emphatic statement for us. But now in Christ, you who are formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who broke down the barrier, the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Look at that wonderful blessing that is described for us as the process of conversion. God has taken this individual that was separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God. They had no promise. They had no hope. And they did not even have God. But God took them and he has transformed them, or as we'll see later on, the actual biblical term translated them into an environment that is totally different. In Christ, now they have peace. Now they have access to the promises of God. Now they have fellowship and not enmity and animosity. And they're all together one. What a wonderful discussion that is about our salvation. Uh, the same concept in, in chapter 5 and verse 8. We were once darkness, now we're light. Do you see the difference? How sad it is to live in darkness. But that's the way those in the world are. That's how they live. They live in darkness and not light. I like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Look at that. He says, if anyone, is anyone past the scope of salvation? Is it impossible for anyone to be converted? No. The Bible says anyone has the opportunity. 
And if they are in Christ Jesus, they are a new creature. The old things are passed away. You've got a, a blank slate. In Colossians, inspiration would describe it there as blotting out your record. There's a, a book being kept on, on your life, on my life. A book of, of record of what we do and what we say and what we think and where we go. It's our life. But that can be wiped clean. You can start all over again. You can, you can redo your life. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. Colossians 3, verses 17 and 18. There Paul says, you put on the new self. It's being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him, to God the Father. And these are just three of the many texts that you find in the Bible that talks about conversion. The concept of everything becoming new, that your slate being wiped clean, that all those ugly and bad things that you are ashamed of doing, Romans 6, 21, those things are forever forgotten by God. And the psalmist says that God will take those sins and toss it into the deepest part of the sea and they'll be as far apart as the east is from the west because of the conversion experience. Oh, it's wonderful. A wonderful opportunity God gives us to be converted. It's a message that offers great joy and happiness. Who doesn't want to start again? Who is it that cannot look back at their life? And as Paul said in Romans 6, you're ashamed of some of the things you did and you would never even do it. You don't even want to talk about it. You see, in the conversion process, God forgets all of that. Who doesn't want to wipe away all of our past mistakes? And the thing is, this is not a dream. It's a reality. This is something that can happen in your life. This is something that you can grab hold of and find security in. Isaiah spoke about this, chapter 1. There he says, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. What a wonderful blessing. We all know, not necessarily first hand down here in Montgomery, but uh, some of us have seen a, a snow that, that comes after the end of a blizzard. Everything is covered. The ugly is not found anymore. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Isn't that great? But look at the end of that. He says, if this is possible, if you consent and obey. Well, that's been the theme, hasn't it, all the way through these lessons that we've been talking about. But this, this message of the gospel is the message that was heralded in, in the first century, beginning in Acts chapter 2, as Jesus ascended, the first gospel sermon preached in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, announced, here's the new beginning that you've been waiting for, and here's the opportunity for everyone to accept and obey what God said. It began in Jerusalem, and it quickly spread. And so 
they get over in Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. And Paul says there, we're taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Bible says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. The message of salvation, the message of conversion is a wonderful message. But that message that was preached that has, has spread throughout all the world, unfortunately, has become distorted today. All you have to do is read the newspapers or listen to the radios or look on the cable TV, and, and you'll find preachers from multiple churches and denominational groups. And always they'll have at the end of their message, most of the time, where you can write for some material, or, and then they'll give you the what you ought to do to be saved according to theirs. And the amazing thing is there's so many inconsistencies. They never agree with one another. There has to be an agreement. There has to be an understanding. Uh, but today it's impossible to hear preachers offer the same counsel for conversion. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.10, speak the same thing, have the same mind among you, be of the same heart. Well, how can you do that with such a multiplicity of, of answers to the simple question, what does conversion involve? Well, modern man is faced with a multitude of different schemes for conversion, and, and it'd be an interesting class just to go through and listen to some of those things. Some of you have received mail that gave you some pretty outlandish things that you can do in order to be saved, but we don't have time to do that. But the, the important thing we need to understand is that the God of grace and healing that we see in the story of Naaman has assured us that the knowledge of the process of conversion is not that confusing. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us there in verse 33, God is not the God of confusion. And so whatever else you hear out in the religious world in general, you can understand this simple fact. However chaotic and confused the message is, God, the God of, of grace and the God of healing in the book of Naaman is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of peace. And therefore, God's message is going to continue, and you and I can understand it today, just as those folks did in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13 and throughout the Bible. It, God's message doesn't depend upon man's confusion. The devil encourages that confusion. And so we need to understand that, that simple fact. The remedy for that confusion is to go back to the Bible. That's God's holy book, God's holy word, and he gives us the principles there. And so that's what we want to do with the story of Naaman. Naaman's narrative helps us, and in the story of Naaman, there's three simple points that uh, help us to understand the conversion process. Let me quickly recite to you the story of Naaman. You know it. He was a mighty warrior. He was a man that held high position in the Syrian government. Uh, probably the king of Syria at that time was Ben-Hadad, which was more an honorary title like Pharaoh than identifying a particular individual because you read a number of Ben-Hadads in the Old Testament. And so 
the important thing to understand is that he was a very important person in the king's court. And 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, and Aram is the same as Syria, was a great man with his master, highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant warrior. Now as you look at this, evidently this man was, was a pretty brilliant strategist whenever it came to military actions. Because by his hand, they had won a number of important uh, battles. The phrase highly regarded is an interesting phrase. It's, uh, it's really an idiom that was used back then. You've probably seen uh, portraits of the, the kings and royalty sitting on their throne. They have their scepter in their hand. And whenever somebody comes in, they'll point it to them. And, and give them permission to speak. We see that in Ahasuerus and Esther as she came in, but there's a, a step further in that process. The king could go and he could touch the person's face and lift it up with that scepter. And this phrase here, highly regarded, literally means lifted up in face. And that's, that's the custom that is being referenced by this phrase. It's a gesture of a king stretching out his scepter, touching the face of the one bowed before him, and that bestowed a great honor upon the one bowed before him. This is the kind of guy that we're talking about here. He was one of the king's favorites. He was also identified as my servant in verse 6. Naaman was a high-ranking official my servant indicates there not necessarily an enslavement, but it indicates the uh, fidelity and the attachment that Naaman had to this king. He's mine. He's not going to turn his back on me. He's not going to double-cross me, but he's my servant. Loyalty is unquestioned, and the king's favor was absolute whenever it came to him. But the Bible says... After giving all these qualifications, he says, verse 1, but he was a leper. Now, leprosy is a, a dreaded disease, and our uh, medical uh, research and technologies have really advanced in, in the treatment and diagnosis of leprosy. Uh, I've dealt with some folks that deal with leper colonies in India, and uh, it's real interesting to read their communications, and then they'll send photos and discussions about what they're doing with things that we've shipped to them for those people. But probably the leprosy that's being discussed here was one of the lesser infectious varieties, if it was infectious at all, because leprosy was a word used in a very generic term at that time. And it can be applied to any skin disease that was visible. But whatever it was did not prevent Naaman from being involved in battle and in service and even in the presence of the king. But whatever it was, was a great concern to Naaman himself, a personal anguish to him. 
Look at the next point. He was a kind master. In the, the marauding bands of the Syrians, they would go, and as they would go throughout Israel, they would uh, take not only possessions, but sometimes they would take slaves. And this young girl had been taken in one of these raids, and she had become a servant in Naaman's home. And it was through her that word reaches Naaman that there was an opportunity for him to be healed of this terrible disease that he had. And she talked about Elisha. And so Naaman gave word to the king, and with the favorable position he had, you know, the king immediately wrote a letter, and probably the king at Israel at that time was Jehoram, and uh, he was not very happy because he said, I can't cure leprosy. Well, he's trying to set me up on this so he can come down and invade us. Elisha heard about that, and he said, send the man to me, and I'll take care of him. Well, as you look at that, it's an interesting point. Uh, it shows the wrong way to gain your treatment, to, to gain your healing. The way of certain healing was for Naaman to go to the prophet of God. But guess what? They ignored God. They didn't listen to what was said. And they had a protocol of the world. This is what you do. One king writes to another king, and then they, through their emissaries, they set up all the maneuvers, and they look at the resources that they had wrong way. It's not going to work in that particular point. But the similarities in healing, spiritual healing, is also seen. Man today looks for healing, but they often look anywhere but God. They ignore God, they ignore the, the Word of God, and they begin trusting in the protocol of the world to find the, the healing. And they ignore God completely. And as some do this, we find the statement in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Isn't that true in the world today? People are struggling. They're lost. They're, they're living in darkness. They're in misery. Their lives are empty. All they're doing is crawling and clawing their way through each day so that they can wake up and do it all over again. They're missing the point here. They need to look to the direction that God's Word gives them. But like Naaman, they're trusting in the world. How sad that is. Well, Naaman, then he, he eventually gets word and he goes to the house of Elisha. And there's interesting narrative there. You see so many character traits about Naaman. Uh, he, he is very proud, very arrogant. He parades in his pomp and his status. Uh, if you look in verse 11... There Naaman was furious. He went away, and behold, he said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. Now, in our English Bibles, it really doesn't show that, but the, the, uh, the term me is in the emphatic position. And what that means, you know, Naaman says, Here I am. This is me. And he should have come to me. And it's just an indication of his very high self-appraisal of himself. Uh, like some fellow one time, he wrote a particular article about accomplishments, 
And another said, well, he used that perpendicular pronoun quite often in referring to the accomplishments, talking about the I. Well, that's about the way Naaman was right here. And also, in verse 11, he said, I thought he will surely, and the word surely indicates his, again, the arrogance, because he said, he ought to have come to me. You know, this is what, uh, this is how great I am. He's socially inferior to me. I'm the king's right-hand man. Well, it was a double offense to Naaman, to his status and also to his country. As uh, he was told what to do, he said, you go and you dip seven times there in the Jordan River, verse 10. Well, Naaman says, our rivers are far much better. And you look back here. That's a, a picture of the, uh, the Jordan River there. It doesn't look too appealing there. Uh, but that's what Naaman was said. Okay, our, our rivers are so much better, clearer, and, and less, less filthy than what we find at this point. Uh, he expected some kind of ritual. I always smile in verse 11. It said, I thought that he would come out, call on the name of the Lord, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Well, that kind of gives you an insight into the, uh, uh, the pagan superstition and the, the activities that was going on. I'm going to wave my hand, as some magician would do. Uh, but all these were, and, and the important thing in verse 11, Naaman says, I thought, underscore that, Conversion is not what you think. Healing is not what you decide. And Naaman had to understand that. Well, in the story of Naaman, there's three important points that, uh, that we find that come about because he, even though he goes away furious, he, he had a good character about him. Somebody says, now, Naaman, after he'd cooled down some, if you'd been asked to pay a great amount, if you'd been asked to do a feat that was almost impossible would you have done it why not do something as simple as what the prophet has said and so he reconsidered and did what was suggested but in that we see conversion all right and uh, the first thing uh, that that I want to note here that in the conversion process leprosy is often identified as sin leprosy would separate you and sin separates us Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face. Now listen carefully. If you've never obeyed God, but you pray and you do religious things, you need to listen to what Isaiah 59, 2 is saying. It doesn't matter how many religious things you do and how many prayers you pray. If you have sin in your life, God hides his face from you, and that separates you from him. So the big question is the sin problem. How are you going to resolve the sin problem? Well, once the sin problem is removed, Ephesians 4 or 2, 14 says that it's going to uh, be re resolved. You'll have fellowship with God. Let's look real quick. We're running out of time here. Naaman's three changes. Remember, conversion is a change. All right, Naaman, number one, changed his thoughts. He came as a worshiper of the pagan god Rimmon, but he left as a servant of Jehovah. Look down in verse 15. This is after he had dipped, as the, the prophet had told him. 
He returned the man of God to the man of God with all his company, came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, folks, that was a change in his thought processes. His thoughts had drastically changed. Before, he thought every, every nation had their own God. And that's common, common uh, belief. Uh, each, each nation, their own protective God. But he says, now I know that there's but one God. He changed his thought. Number two, he changed his actions. Before, he is proud and arrogant, verse 9 he allowed emotions to rule his life in verse 11. But now, look down in verses 13 and 14. His servants came near, spoke to him, and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down, verse 14. He changed his actions. Naaman had rode off in a huff. He was upset. He was incensed. He was angry. He was, he was mad. But now verse 14. So he went down. He changed his direction. He changed his actions. And then notice also there was a change in his relationship with God. Before Naaman was allowed, uh, was, uh, he would allow God to remain in Israel. That was Israel's God's. He was unclean with leprosy. He was unconcerned about his worship. But after he changed his thoughts and after he changed his actions, his relationship with God changed. He found an entirely new relationship with Jehovah God. He said in verse 15, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, these three principles are critical to the conversion process. Before an individual is converted to God, they've got to change their thoughts. They've got to change their actions. They've got to change their relationship with God. Simple, isn't it? Isn't that so simple? And, and, and look further how this, this develops. Conversion's principles. Number one, you change your thoughts because of faith. The Bible tells us there in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Acts 2, 36, there on the first gospel sermon preached that we have recorded, they said, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. You change your thoughts because of your faith. You begin to have that faith in God, and that faith will grow and develop, and, and it will transform your life on a daily basis. But it's critical to have faith at the very beginning of your conversion process. But then there must be a change in our actions, and that's seen in the word repentance. The word repent is, well, a good illustration there is in Acts 3.19, it, there, the, uh, the American standard says, repent and turn again. And that's basically what, what the concept is. There's a turning. Repent and turn again that your sins may be washed away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is also alluded to in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. There's godly sorrow, and then there's worldly sorrow. 
Worldly sorrow means you're sorry you got caught. Godly sorrow means your heart is pierced and you want to change. Godly sorrow worketh repentance or produces a repentance, as the New American Standard says. Repentance comes as a result of our faith. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that only through Him can we have access to God. We believe that He has given us the full and complete revelation of God. And so understanding that, we want to change our lives to conform to what He teaches us, and that's repentance. And and repentance is not just a once-for-all thing, but it's a daily thing. Certainly, it occurs at the very beginning of your decision to follow God. But then every day, the more you learn of the Scripture, the more you you gain insight into the Word of God, you change your life. Little by little, you're changing your life. And so true repentance causes us to look to God and not self. See, in, in verse 11, Naaman said, Behold, I thought. But now in repentance, he says, It doesn't matter what I think, because I know that there's no other God but that in Israel. And then look at this third point. Conversion involves a change in our relationship to God, and that's seen in baptism or immersion. There are several ways that this, this is found in the Bible, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we've already cited, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. John 3, verses 3 and 5, Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, at that time, remember, he says, at that time, you were separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. So our faith and our repentance leads us to the point where we are in Christ. The critical question then, how do we get in Christ? You're either in the world or you're in Christ. And that's where immersion or baptism comes into play because it is by the action of baptism that one is placed into Christ, into the family of God. It's that new birth into God's family. And so it's impossible to have this new relationship with God. It's impossible to be in God's family without biblical immersion. That's why Jesus said in John 3 and verse 7, Do not be amazed that I say unto you, you must be born again. See how simple it is? Isn't isn't that so simple? Now, as you look at Naaman, there are several points to consider in in regard to the conversion process. It's summed up, conversion is summed up by these three terms, faith, repentance, and immersion or baptism. And, and notice that each by itself is useless in conversion. It's not faith only. It's not repentance only. It is, it's not baptism only. You have to have these working together, and, and they have a certain order in which they are working. 
by themselves, it's not going to work. But God's plan is that they work together. Now look at the, the general here. Real quickly, we note these points. The general had some very different ideas about what he should do. But then he heard what God said to do, and he really didn't like the difference. I've known some folks like that. They had some ideas that they had heard and round about as to how they ought to be converted. And, and then whenever they heard what the Bible says, they, uh, you know, as the country boy said, they, their hair on their back bristled and they got their backs up over it. They just didn't want to, to listen to it. And they got very upset. But they need to listen to what Naaman says here, that you can have an idea of conversion that's totally different from what God says. This, the general was angry whenever he found out that his ideas didn't fit God's commands. And he was willing to remain a leper because he didn't want to submit to the commands of God. Isn't that amazing? Is it possible that an individual would want to remain a sinner a life of death without hope, without God in this world, instead of obeying the commands. Is that where you are? If it is, look at Naaman. Please look at Naaman and understand that point. Understand that when Naaman complied to the commandments of God, he was made clean. But he had to comply to all of the commandments of God. He had to do them all. Today, you're not a legalist if you say you've got to obey the commandments of God. You're being, uh, you're, you're biblical in that. Naaman discovered the reality of full obedience. We must obey God. That's what Jonah was trying to teach us Sunday night. Naaman had a disposition that led him to listen and to reason. And thankfully, that changed his stubbornness and he was healed. Those in Berea, Acts 17, 11, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word of God with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. How wonderful it is to find those that are struggling to know the Word of God, and they don't want to follow their way. They don't want to follow other man's way. They want to look at what the Bible says. That's what we want to do here at the Dalrada Congregation. We want to serve God according to what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. The blessings of genuine conversion are wonderful. There's nothing at all that can substitute. Now, the devil will do his best to, to convince that, but we need to accept and trust and obey the commands of God in God's way. God's commands, very simple, folks. He wants you to believe. The Bible tells us, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God wants you to repent, to change your actions. Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God wants you to be baptized, change your relationship with him. Colossians 1, 13 expresses it like this. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loved. You see, whenever you obey God through faith, repentance, and baptism, God transfers you into the kingdom of His Son. Now, had Naaman failed to obey God, he would never have been clean. 
had he only gone to the river, just stood there and looked at it, wouldn't been clean. And here's a sober point. Should you fail to obey God, you won't be cleansed. Acts twenty two sixteen says this. Now, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized, calling on his name, washing away your sins. And now, why do you delay? Why do you tarry? The term there literally means, why are you wasting time? Why are you putting off doing what you know should be done? The good news for the world today is that the God of grace and healing that healed Naaman offers the only remedy for the horrors of the disease of sin. How wonderful that is. And the world needs this cure. Isaiah chapter 1 introduces us to the situation in Israel. And Isaiah says, The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. He says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice. And then he makes this point. Come now and reason with me. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the soul. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a powerful message. And it's nothing that's new with us. This is a message that's been, been preached for centuries and centuries. You've heard the story of Naaman. You know the story of Naaman. But there may be those that's been coming and visiting that's never heard of Naaman before. Now you have. And now you have the knowledge as to what you ought to do. You know what God wants you to do right now. God wants to cleanse you. God wants to take you out of the world where you have no hope, where you don't have God. And God wants to put you into the kingdom of the Son of His love where you have forgiveness of sins, where you start all over again. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful opportunity God offers. But God is not going to make you do that. He didn't make Naaman go into the river Jordan. He told him, here's what you got to do. Naaman had to make that choice. And that choice, remember Moses said to Israel, choose life. That's the choice that Naaman tells us. The God of grace and healing wants you to choose life tonight. Now, if you are in the assembly tonight and, and you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you've never believed, repented, and been baptized according to what the, we've seen the Bible teach tonight, you need to do that. And the good news is you can do that even tonight. Let's close out this VBS period with the wonderful demonstration of the grace and the mercy of God as Naaman shows us in the Old Testament. You can find it in your life. And as, as we're dismissed, if, if you are here and you want to do that, you talk to somebody and, and they'll make sure that you're putting the contact with those that can help you become a child of God. What a wonderful lesson. Well,
so much for our study in Vacation Bible School. I have profited from the study and the preparation of these notes tremendously. Um, reviewed old truths and, and reestablished the, the veracity of them. And I hope that I've been able to communicate just a, a small degree of that which I have been able to discern. But you can do it. You can, it's, it's here. It's nothing that I've done. It's here in the book. And you can do that. But tonight, friends, if, if you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you've never confessed Christ, if you've never repented, if, if you've never been buried with Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of sins, please don't leave without doing that. And we'll be glad to help you in, in any way that we can. Well, we'll stand dismissed. We've got, I think Doug said, refreshments here. or I know we've got... It's at, we're being waved off there. It's in the, the fellowship room. We got uh, refreshments that way. So uh, you're welcome. I hope you'll stay. Uh, if you don't know us, stay and get to know us. There'll be somebody here you like, you know, and, and so just stay around. You'll find somebody that you like, and we like you. We're thankful that you came. Let's close with prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for the studies that we've had this week. And we pray, Lord, we've been challenged that we will be like those that we've studied that conform to your word, that we will learn from those that refuse to follow your word, that we will be more acceptable to you and in your service. Please watch over us and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all very much.